One year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I want to try trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers and ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the fur shed. This is the Trapping Today Podcast. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Great to be here. Thank you for tuning in. It's great to have you. The podcast is brought to you by Kotz Brothers Lures. K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Kotz Brothers has a full line of trapping supplies from traps, earth anchors, baits and lures, books and DVDs, everything you need to get started. Check them out. We're also brought to you by OnX Maps. Turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS. Guys, if you're not using OnX Maps yet, you've got to get on this before trapping season. Check it out, onxmaps.com. Use the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, to get 20% off. And you're going to use this, not only are you going to use this like a GPS, you're going to get aerial imagery everywhere you go all the time. You're going to be able to look at landowner information on on places you want to trap, places you want to hunt fish. Um, I use this thing just about every day. It's incredible. So check them out, onxmaps.com, promo code TRAP, and I appreciate you guys supporting them. All right. Well, tonight's episode, we have uh, a continuation of our interview with Billy Thompson and Charlie Tucker. That was a lot of fun to sit down with those guys. Um, I had somebody email me recently uh, a little feedback from last week's episode and they well, I actually had several of you guys email and I appreciate that um, a lot of people really found that interview uh, enjoyable and somebody mentioned that it was kind of cool that we had back-to-back uh, old school new school old school so so we had Nathan from Minnesota and we had some some uh, episodes with him talking like the perspective from a new trapper who's kind of just getting into things and and is really into it and and uh, you know has only been trapping for a few years and then and and these you know this this past episode and today's episode and and uh, the next one or two we've got these old school trappers that have been doing it forever so it gives you a little bit of perspective from both ends of the spectrum so that's kind of cool um, I I'm glad. Uh, that was pointed out because I hadn't really thought of it that way. So anyway, in tonight's episode, uh, we we talked, kind of just continued from uh, where we left off last week. We talked about secrets and trapping, uh, 
the 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 big secret, of course, is hard work. Uh, talked a little bit about lures, Martin trapping, and the uh, the food cycles and how that's changed over the years. Uh, we did get into fur bear populations. Um, Charlie and Billy have some pretty strong feelings, and I I want to say you know I I edited certain things out in this episode for several different reasons. Um, one was language. I I kind of cut out some of the language. There is going to be a little bit of offensive language in here for some people, so just keep that in mind. If you're listening, you got young kids, you might want to listen to this one ahead of time and uh, make sure it's suitable. Uh, there isn't much, but there's probably a couple times that 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 was in there um, where where I felt like just keeping it in because it kind of rolled with and flowed with uh, wh- what we were talking about. There were several, quite a few instances where I had to cut some things out. Um, and and uh, there's some talk about fur bear management in Maine, and uh, I I this is a tough issue to dance around because um, people are very opinionated. Maine trappers are very opinionated in how our fur bears are managed, and um, I don't know if you know some of it may be just Maine trappers in general, and and we just happen to be very engaged in. The process and and really want to uh, want to have a say in what goes on, but I think more so than that, it's because over the past 15 to 20 years, Maine trappers have lost more of their ability to trap and and methods in which we trap than probably any other state, uh, save California, which completely lost trapping. But that's another story. But um, Basically, you know, it, it's been a big change and it's been very challenging for people to, to look and see, you know, all of the regulations that were put in place uh, that basically had to be put in place because of the Federal uh, Endangered Species Act listing of Canada lynx. And it completely changed the way we trap in Maine. And, and really, in a lot of ways, we're kind of lucky we can continue to trap um, and I like to look at it from from that standpoint that, hey, let's just be happy that we're even trapping. But a lot of guys don't, you know, are very frustrated by that. And, and I am as well. Um, some people voice it more than others. So Charlie and Billy talked a little bit about that. And I, and um, some of that stuff I, I thought about maybe cutting out, but I decided to leave a lot of it in just because um, it, it kind of gives that angle of, you know, where guys are coming from and, and some of the thoughts that people have about, um, you know, about trapping and, and, uh, and, and fur bear management. Uh, we talked a little bit, Charlie got into a little bit of, uh, I called him Charlie, the philosopher. <laughs> he talked more broad spectrum. Um, you know, it's, we're in the middle of the coronavirus uh, thing and Charlie's got some pretty strong opinions about that. And he talked kind of about killing and about how, uh, you know, animals people kill animals every day and don't really think much about it but then of course they want to uh look at trappers as these evil evil killers so so he went on about that a little bit um we talked about martin fisher otter bobcats uh under ice beaver trapping all kinds of different things uh, one funny thing was we had a guy some some dude just walked in randomly uh when we were in the middle of the interview and uh, I, he didn't even know he was being recorded. So I, I didn't, I did keep some of it in cause it was kind of funny, but I cut out most of it. I actually had to cut out cause um, it was pretty, uh, yeah, pr- pretty intense language. But um, 
it was really, really funny. So, uh, so the guy just kind of stopped in. He wanted to leave a boat in the yard, uh, and uh, he was going out in the woods, and and he kind of was was talking, and it was funny because it was just like perfect. It, we had just gotten done talking about otter and how many otter we've been seeing in in northern Maine and and or Maine in general. And this guy comes in and he starts talking and he just goes on. He just starts immediately going into how many otter he caught. And he tried to, was beaver trapping and he couldn't avoid the otter. So I left some of that in. Uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, we also talked about Billy's uh, father. And uh, he, it, Billy's dad was trapping way back in like the 1920s. He was, he was a really, really old school trapper and uh, uh, would have been quite a legend if he ever, talked about what anything that he did so uh that that was that was awesome see billy billy's in his early 70s and his father had him when he was in his i believe his early 40s so he was almost like a grandfather to him and uh and so you know that history stretches back a long ways so it was kind of uh a unique opportunity to uh get some some information from from one of the early trappers in northern Maine. Um, So, yeah, that was good. It was a fun episode. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. And uh, we'll have a little bit more from these guys in in probably next week's episode. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Thanks again for everything, guys. appreciate it. A couple of quick updates. The T-shirt, I have gotten the sample shirt. Looks great. Um, it, It is so the shirt that I selected, uh, I, I, I've been wearing it for a few days here and I like it. It is a thin, it's a thin shirt. It's a, it's a tri blend shirt. So it's like three different types of fabric blend blended together. It's a really high quality shirt, but it's thin. So, uh, if you're looking for a really thick shirt, I don't, I don't know if you'd really like this a lot. I like it. The fit is really awesome. I'm a tall skinny guy and it fits me just perfect. Um, so I, so I do like that. Um, I was just, uh, trying to see how the thing held up and, and, uh, probably wash it a couple times. See, see what the, uh, the printing, uh, on the shirt, uh, looks like after a couple washes and, uh, wear it around a little bit more. The problem is I was thinking about, you know, getting this thing kind of loaded up and ready to go for you to buy shirts. Uh, just as soon as I ordered that sample shirt, I went back on the website and, they are no longer available. So all, basically all the product categories in, in men's t-shirts um, or unisex t-shirts are unavailable right now. Um, so it's, of course, probably due to the corona virus and uh, shortages associated with that. So uh, I'm kind of in, in limbo a little bit on the shirt. I'm, I'm going to wait and see if anything changes. If it doesn't, I'm going to try to find another company and uh, and go with that, and we'll get we'll start getting shirts available here at some point soon. Uh, the book, the Walter Arnold book, is basically completed. I just finished it yesterday. The final edits, um, editing is a uh, a real drag. Boy, it was a it was a challenge. It was just like you remember when Bob Hart's wife, uh, ex-wife Nancy had her on the podcast and she said if I knew how much work this would have been I I never would have done it well uh, that's what I felt like at the end of it but I did get it done and I sent off to Amazon for a uh, a sample copy I'm going to get that in here probably within the next four to five days 
and the, uh, the reason for that is I did not want to make the book available until I actually had it in hand and I confirmed that what they show on the computer is actually what I'm going to see in the physical book. So I want to make sh absolutely 100% sure uh, that that this is going to be exactly what I'm expecting and looking for. When I get the book, if I if it looks all fine and good, I'm going to make that available and I'm going to go on a big media blitz. I'm going to uh, maybe not a media blitz, but I'm going to be talking about it a lot more. So <laughs> I'm going to try to get you guys to buy some books. Um, it's probably going to, it's so, several people have asked about the price. Um, I, th I'm thinking I'm going to have it for about 20 bucks. I thought about 25. Um, I, I'm thinking right now, looking at the cost to print it and everything. I'm thinking 20 is probably going to cut it. So, uh, I'll, I'll give you some more information here moving forward. Hope maybe in next week's episode, um, but it's going to be somewhere in that in that range. Uh, the shirt is probably going to be the 25-ish range, uh, depending on what we settle with. But um, but yeah, the book the book will probably be 25, and you may have to pay a little bit for shipping as well. But uh, I, I think that's pretty reasonable. It's going to be over 300 pages of trapping. Uh, I really think you guys are going to enjoy this book, uh, and so um, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to making it available and getting in you guys' hands and having some people read it and hearing some feedback. It'll be exciting. So anyway, with that, let's get into the episode. Uh, again, hope you enjoy it and uh, and stay tuned for the Cots Brothers deal of the week. If you are getting thinking about next trapping season and you need to place an order for some traps, uh, why don't you stay tuned to the end of this episode and listen to the Cotsboro special? Because uh, if you like, if you like number two Bridgers, now's the time to get them. Let's just put it that way. Um, and uh, stay tuned and, and listen in for the end uh, for that. All right, guys, thank you very much, and uh, hope you enjoy. Take care. Yeah, I think anybody that's been quite successful in any type of trapping, it was all back. There's no secret. Work hard. Yeah, there's no big Go secret. Go out and work hard. And, and and keep an eye on what's happening and pay attention to what Mother Nature's doing for you. Yeah. The biggest secrets are the lawmakers telling you they have a secret <laughs> law that don't work for shit. <laughs> and people buy it and make them rich. Yeah. Yes. No. There's <laughs> no secret law. I, I used to make a lot of my own lures, and I would use some of the going stuff. But then I'd always try stuff. It's just like the people uh, that have gone to shampoos yep. mixed with something that make good lure. And one of the Martin studies in New Hampshire, they were doing that. Yep. And a, a female trapper with, with the shampoo was catching more yeah, the guys with the stunt. Yeah. So, you know, you gotta you got to keep everything mixed up. Keep trying things. Did something about, though, a female trapping Martin and Fisher, did something about a woman when she sets that trap, I think you'll find that the animal doesn't fear her scent as much as they fear yeah, a I man's do too. scent. I do, too. I think that's a big secret that nobody's ever brought up. Because Danny Wagner trapped with Lisa, the biologist Lisa on the bear study. Yeah. They trapped Martin. She out-trapped him two to one. And they were setting <laughs> in the same area. You know, each one, they'd get out and make this, and he figured it out. He said he thought it was because of her scent, maybe. 
they don't fear it so much. Or... I, I even seen that with female hunters, how some of them are yeah. quite successful. And it seems like I've seen women tell me about they were hunting and, and a big buck walked right onto them. Mm. So I, I don't know whether something about their scent is different than that. They're not so scared or what it is. But. That's interesting. I'd never heard that before. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you'll notice that a lot of women are getting into trapping now. And the first couple of years they get into it, they catch fur. That yeah. A lot of these guys wouldn't have caught, that, I think. Yeah. So it's got to be Maybe something. Maybe it's good also because they pay more attention when they're making their they set. It could be, too. Because <laughs> you know, I know I can, I can make a lot of mistakes. I go back to my sets. I, I get hurrying. Oh, yeah. I get hurrying. You get hurrying. You, you know you're going to have mistakes. A woman studies things pretty good. They usually they, have good they, attention They're to more detail. observant, yeah. and they remember more, than I think, than a male. My wife says, I know that. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I think that, plus maybe they send a little bit or something, gives them an edge. <laughs> if I was going to have a real good trapping partner, I'd want a female. Now. <laughs> sure. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we <laughs> hope you're thinking about just trapping, though. <laughs> I don't care what she looks like or nothing, but as long as she could trap. Because of yeah. them, instead of catching 200 beaver, I'd probably catch 500, and she'd catch 300 of them. Right? Well, they, Dan and Lisa did good. I don't know how many they caught when they when they teamed up there, but they, they caught a lot of beaver. I remember that. Mm-hmm. They did real good the, the first year they trapped Martin together. Uh, that year, I did not. There was a lot of feed. It's the, We were on a cycle on the... Uh, all, Uneven year, like 85, 87, you could catch more fur, less food out there available. That got switched over. Yeah, now the odd years are odd. (laughs) That got switched over in 2009 or 10, when, 10 I think it was, the fall of 2010 when Dan and Lisa teamed up. Yeah, they had two years. There there was two years there was no food. Right. So the Martin fed good both years. And I didn't go out and trap that year. I had a brother that had a kidney problem with. Washington State was getting worse, so I wanted to go out and spend one fall out there with him. So I went out for two weeks. When I come back, I seen Dan and Lisa, and they were catching a lot of Martin. They were going through a lot of my same territory. So I started setting, and I started catching. I couldn't believe it because I, from that point on, we've been on the even year yes. cycle yep. for less food. Yeah, I remember that year. That they and that. I often wondered if that hurt. The Martin population or Fisher population, because it weren't long after that, we seen that we had to go to a limit on Fisher statewide. But up here, we never had the Fisher population compared to Southern Maine. So I didn't think that was really true here. Yeah. But uh, I think we had, in 2008, we had 200 inches of snow. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that hurt the Fisher Oh, that, yeah. All that deep snow. I think it hurt everything. Hurt everything. There's no doubt about it. Other than the beaver that was on the Martin probably the ice. fine. But, but it, we're back to even this winter. When we was all done with this winter, we ended up fifth place, sixth place with snow yeah. in Caribou. Mm-hmm. And Caribou don't get the snow you get west of Ashland. No. I mean, the year that they had set the record, 198, whatever it was, 2008, <laughs> we, had over, we had over 200 inches out here. North of Baxter State Park, Mount Katahdin, all the way along Route 11 and west to the Allagash and St. John River. We had over 200 inches, no doubt in my mind. Oh, yeah. yeah. By far. Yeah. I remember one year Neil and I was trapping, 
beaver up through here in the spring, going to Eagle Lake, and we still had three feet of snow in the woods until the last day of April. And my wife gave me a call the night before trapping season was to end in two days. She says, there's three to six inches of rain coming on you guys tomorrow. <laughs> and I told Neil, I said, we're pulling tomorrow, Neil. Oh, we'll make it, he says. I said, no, we're pulling tomorrow. He didn't realize with three feet of rain snow. Rain on snow, yeah. And it, the only traps we didn't get that day was in Winterville. By the, uh, I had a friend, of Norman, pick it up. By the uh, water district for yeah. in St. Yeah. Freud there. Yep. By the, the water the district. Fisher River, that yeah. road was completely gone. Jeez. Norman we, went and got it for him. We drove in that road, really? and we could yeah. only go so to the water, water district. Down, yeah. It was flooded completely. Yeah. It, this was like 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We, we missed crazy. them. We got every trap with those. Yeah, Neil and you told me where they were, and I called my buddy Norman there in Winterville, and he went right down and found it. Right up. Yeah. That one that... Yeah. Neil was in the pretty deep water looking for it, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> but we didn't get that back until Neil's convention. Yeah, I brought it down to the convention and gave it to him. Did you, you see <laughs> Norm? You talked to Norm lately? No, no. No, you don't travel Is that anymore. the guy that traveled up half the night? So oh, the state is really worried about the otter situation. Maybe in certain spots I can understand that. But of all the years in the North Main Woods, I ride snow sled. I've ridden 90,000 miles snow sleds in the last 20 years. And all went along through the mountain ridges, you'll find otter tracks. Do you on the waterway this winter? I've seen, I oh, saw so oh, many otters. so many. Every single Big Eagle, Churchill, yep. around John's Bridge, there was otter every single time I went by. And you go back to the pressure of the beaver trapping in the winter is not there no more. We always used to get a percentage of otter yeah. with a winter beaver trapper. So you got all them otter not being caught, no matter how you look at it. And their tracks are everywhere, slides and everything. Even in the November, you know, the legal season, oh, yeah. there's nobody trapping. Nobody trapping them. They don't want to catch So I, I don't think it's a thing the that the state of Maine has to worry about from what I'm no, seeing. There's no yeah, I, I think, not to speak for anybody, but I think that the big issue is the lack of data. Not yeah, having, yeah. just not having the information. But I, I, I think, in my opinion, the mink mink numbers are way down. Yeah, they they've dropped again. They were high three four years ago. And I think that has up. something to do with the otter. See, I, I don't being know up. where otter you're... will kill every mink it can kill because no. they're competitive. Your area that you roam in, Jeremiah, I don't know exactly where you, where you roam to do your fishing part of your department. Basically, everything from Holton North. Okay. They always said years ago, the back County in the 50s in the and middle, don't have a lot back of in the 50s and nope. 60s, mink was the thing to trap. They were $30 back well, then, my dad used and to everybody trap. was a mink trapper, and the harder we trapped mink, the better they did. Really? Yes, and then the mink crashed in the 70s and 80s, and the population went to hell. And See, then for some reason, they come back again on their own. They come back in the 90s, remember? We had a big burst of mink everywhere. And people were catching mink in muskrat traps and everything. And now they've gone the other way again. Huh. But that's back, still back to Mother Nature, too. I yeah, I think a, she, a, she knows how to balance things better than man can. 
It's a big cycle. It's a I big think. cycle. Just look at your rabbit cycle. How up, links, down, up, down. Yeah. You know. And links and bobcat. Mother Nature. And it's the same one with so. Martin. Uh, why do you only have X amount of young born one year, and then the next year you 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 might have more or less? But it seems to be a cycle that somebody is controlling better than we can. In the sixties, when I was first trapping in Jackman, north of Jackman towards Cheney Pond and South Branch of the Penobscot, while I was in high school, we'd go up there and trap. My father trapped because he'd retired. He was in there. There was no mountain, and in the seventies they exploded. <laughs> you could go up there in the late seventies when they opened it up and catch mountain. No matter how you made it set, you'd catch a mountain, <laughs> wouldn't you? See, I, I found in also the, in all the years I tracked Martin, I liked a place that had been cut twenty-five years before, better than any other type of woods. Now, some of the woods that you trap in Alaska or Canada. I would not set a set because I never caught them here that way. I don't like popple and spruce and fir. I got to be in with a certain amount of hardwood. Big hardwood. Bigger hardwood. Where they then when they used to cut, they a lot of big hardwood was left. Yeah. Back thirty years ago, they didn't have no market for softwood. They wanted to grow logs, but their hard their hardwood logs was the only thing they took, so they didn't cut down the pulpwood. I found that to be some of the best catch spots for Martin yeah. really? and Fisher. And you almost have to have a cedar tree where you set a mountain trap. One cedar tree. And <laughs> oh, yeah, it makes a difference. It's something about that cedar yes. tree they'll uh, go to, isn't My it? very first Martin was in the base of a cedar tree. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, just the, a little hole there, and I stuck a one oh, ten right in front of it. With a number one and a half <laughs> jump right there and catch him. You won't catch no lynx because the lynx won't go into a hole. Can you, can you believe, Charlie, back in... And when Lynch was on the Forks of Machias, how many bobcats were up here? Yeah. Uh, I don't know when the last time I've seen a bobcat track. The bobcat, I hate to say much about it, but the bobcat population in northern Maine has never come back. And was it the fisher? That they've slowly... We got more fisher tracks now than I've ever seen. I, me too, yeah. yeah ever, ever seen in northern Maine. Everywhere. Now, back in the days when I was trapping, we had no limit on Martin. And we were catching a lot of Martin, 100, 150, 200 Martin. You could only count on about one fisher to every 20 Martin. Yeah. I think now we've gone, like the first year. <laughs> you, got, you got limited out on fisher before you could yeah. get your Martin limit a yeah. couple years well, the, ago. A few years ago when we had to go to the Lynx excursion <laughs> box, 2015, 2016. 2015, I didn't get into it. It was 2016. Yeah. I limited out, me and my partner, on fisher. And we didn't get our limit on Martin. And I was really surprised. And I caught mostly females because I was only using the four-inch box. Yeah. Four-inch hole. Yeah. I don't believe in going any bigger than that. Uh, I don't... I know you'd catch more fisher if you went bigger, probably. I don't think... I don't know. I'm having trouble with those big boxes. Yeah, me too. The fisher just want don't want to make no. that turn. They will not use that corner. Very seldom. Yep. That's why I only went with the four inch where they could go. I, mean, I was I've going done, in. I've done better with that, but like you said, in my experience, the fishers you're going to top out at about twelve pounds. Yeah, and you're not going to get those sixteen, eighteen pound. No, you're not getting fishers. the big. No, no, they can't. You'll get, get to the thirteen pound boat. The biggest you'll catch is thirteen pound male. See, but you're not getting them old big bruises. Not really. 
So, so you know, boxes. I, I've had them. They walk right up to your box. Yeah, oh yeah, they they're won't go in it. See the boxes I had made are made with a four inch hole. But they won't go through those six inch holes either. But then, no, no, because no. they got to turn. They got to turn and. And that way there, what I did with the bigger box, I went with five gallon pails. You go in that four inch hole and you're into twelve inches of room. But still, you can't get the big mail. He's not going to get hole. through that four inch hole. He can't get through yeah. the four inch hole. But you get all the twelve pounds and under. They'll go right in. Yeah. I'd like to see him go to a five-inch hole, straight in. Yeah. A five-inch hole. Because if that if that trap was designed so a lynx could stick his foot in through there and not get caught, he a lynx ain't going to go through a five-inch hole. But he'd get caught quicker by a long leg going into a small hole because of, don't you... You've seen the pictures where some people have had the, the bigger links reaching up over five feet on a tree, leaning tree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the biggest thing with the big links. I mean, and there are bigger links than we ever once but don't dreamed you think anywhere he could, in the world, he could, maybe. He could reach in 18 inches. Oh, yeah, they can. They can reach a long ways. Because that's what they're they doing like when they're on that tree. Reach. They're reaching a long way with their front legs. I think if they can To get up it. above five feet. Well, and you're dealing with the, the exceptions. Like like that year when basically lynx were starving. Yeah. The year where we killed we killed them two. We killed two. And, and then we, you knew that you was could see happen. the one he got. He's in the one ten up on the yeah. tree. It, it was like how the heck did he? Well, he was starving to death. See, if I was that worried and we went with the laws we went, I think we should have. When we seen what we had for food and then the snow hit, we should have closed the season right off the bat. Said that one, because I knew them were going to be caught. My experience of being out in the woods all my life. There were a lot of links. I knew them links were going to be caught. I just knew it from what I seen. The conditions, no food. It, and I don't care who you are. If you're starving, you're going to dig in to that dumpster in New York City like the next person. Same with animals. They're going to fight harder to eat. But but you're still talking like 99% of the links or 95% of the links are not going to get caught in that set. No, no. But the the problem was the way the regulations, the way the federal permit oh, yeah. was written, it was three links. And oh, yeah. Yeah, but they don't mention <clears throat> getting 60 or 70 run over by a truck and yeah. stop trucking. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's sad what's you happened. Know, it's politics, well, let's, yeah. Let's put two and two together here. Now, who's killing more, trucks or the trappers? It's uh, politics, no doubt about it. Yeah. No matter how we look at it. But what's sad, I've never met a human that don't kill. And if you don't believe, you must not believe in God if you don't kill the way I look at life. The creator of whatever. Charlie, the philosopher. But the creator of everything. I believe in the creator more now than I ever did when I was young. For 60-something years, I've watched wildlife, and I'm a great believer in the creator. Whether that creator is the one that invented evolution, whatever you want to call it. You want to call it God? I don't want to know because it's so much more intelligent what makes everything tick. And everything on this earth is here Trees, grass, you name it, is here for food for something. And something has to kill it. And humans kill more than anybody else in modern living. The only difference is some people do their own killing and other most people let other people do their killing for Today, them. Today, that's the big yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, that's the way it is, yeah. 
The number of animals that die transporting dog food would scare you. (laughs) No, but you've got so many people that don't even know. They've never been taught. There's kids in cities that don't even know where the McDonald's hamburgers come from. They think it just created a food. They don't even know it comes from a beef critter. Yeah. Or now it comes from vegetables and everything <laughs> yeah. else. And the only tree they ever seen was planted in Central Park. Yeah. You know? But you know what I mean. It's, it's sad it's that sad. that's happened, yeah. but it is. Yeah. That's the it's way sad. it is. And it's, it's a way of life, I guess, changing. There's some people, there's some younger people that are getting more into More into it now, and they're, they're starting and to twist the other way yeah. because they've seen the real life of everything. See, that's where we're at right now with this coronavirus. Number 19, where's your food coming from? Yep. How much longer before this gets so serious, where's your food coming from? I hope I don't get it. I hope nobody I know gets it. I don't want to ever see anybody die, but people have to die just like wildlife. The trees have to die. Nobody even understands what a tree does. Mm. Tree grows up, and all the while it's fighting to kill what's beside it. Because if it don't kill it, it don't get what it needs. So eventually that big tree becomes a big tree. Kills a lot of things to get to where it got. Mm. And then it starts dying. Now it becomes, for everything else, a place to get something to eat. That tree becomes something to eat. For Charlie to cut and get some food. Well, (laughs) whatever. But it's like a blade of grass. You go out and you mow your lawn. You just killed so much stuff on that lawn, it is scary. No matter how you look at it. You can't mow a lawn without killing something. You're killing the grass. You go over and look at that grass. The minute you cut it, water is bleeding. How many children know that? No, they don't care. Don't care. Do you guys remember, so, so we talked about bobcats, and... You remember back when Lynch was killing all those bobcats and there was a big debate about whether bobcats killed deer. You remember that? And and all the guys out west said bobcats don't kill deer and all the guys up here said bobcats kill and that you reminded me when you said why the bobcats have gone and I think a lot of it is our deer herd is gone. Yeah. Um and they the, the bob for some reason the bobcats up here really found a way to capitalize on deer in the winter time they always had one big cat that killed for the other cats yeah my father used to he was brought up and trapped in the 20s and 30s during the depression and cats were a hated thing in the state of Maine. Oh, there was a bounty on them yeah. there was a bounty on them and they wanted them dead but back then where he trapped over on dole pond he'd catch a he'd catch a cat that was mixed yeah. Which the biologist told me when this first started, this lynx study, oh, there's no way that a lynx will mix with a bobcat. Now they've changed their way of thinking. But the state knew that back in the 20s and 30s. They wouldn't pay him a bounty on anything that was a lynx. <laughs> it's all. It's still all back to food, like I say. And, and, and the deer population was good, so why wouldn't you as a cat? There was no deer in southern you can, And the snow's deep. The snow is so, deep. So you could, they you, could you, get you, them off the trail. Oh, yeah. You know, you see it with with links right now. You drive, like I said, I ride a lot of miles on snow suits. One thing How I'm many miles do you put on this winter? I put 6,500 miles on this winter. <laughs> all off trail. <laughs> I'm not on a trail system. And when you're going down in woods roads, 
I'm always looking for the rabbit trail. One thing people don't see is that lynx track on the rabbit trail. Right. Because that rabbits, them rabbits are going back and forth, forth and forth. Yeah. When that lynx walks in there, you've lost that track. If you ain't there the minute they walked in there. Yeah. You've lost that track. But you go in the woods, get your snowshoes and go in and look around. That lynx has been laying down waiting for the rabbit to come to him. Yeah. Why are you going to, when you can grab something coming by, I'd be the same way. I'd go in, set and wait. And the bobcat sitting on a tree waiting for a deer well, yeah. to come for the deer to go in there. And you take the size of the bobcat compared to the lynx. It was always a, a much heavier animal than a lynx. Yeah. So, like, Croc wrote the book called Wildcat. Yeah. And it was all about lynch. And lynch caught a lot of bobcat, but a lot of other guys helped him, too. Well, he had paid guys by the hour. He's getting pretty good money for a bounty. And that wasn't in the book. <laughs> no, but he's getting pretty good money. Yeah. Anyone he could get. Or so, guys were paying him to go hunting. So you hire a couple of good guy, guys that were guiding for you and keep them on and to help you drive beaver, help you to get links. And everybody was making money. So that was a known thing back in that time frame. All through from 1920. 1920-ish, Lynx brought out the sporting camps. It belonged to the Rafford family. Yep, the Forks of the Machias. At the Forks of the Machias. And back in them days, it's like I keep telling everybody, we're going to go right back to where we'll have a closed season on Mark, a closed season on Fisher, and a closed season on Moose again. Because we're doing the same thing they did when the paper mill started in 1900. We're cutting all along the water more now than ever. We're cutting the habitat that all wildlife needs in the winter. We're cutting it harder now than we ever have before. Who we Man. got? Man. Yeah. What have you guys been up to? Anything good? How many beavers you kill? I never set a trap nowhere this you past didn't. year. <laughs> I set I set a dozen and a half traps start to spring, right? Just for the boys. Just kicking around the house. Never we went as far south as Carmel. From the house and went as far north as Howland. And I set 18 traps the first day. Went back three days later, I had four otter and three beaver. Yeah. Boys, look at otter populations really hurting around here, isn't it? Mm. Around in the state of Maine, isn't it? I love it. We were just talking <laughs> about that. We just talking about it. It seemed like every two days I was calling my warden, I need you to come tag another otter. <laughs> Are you otter trapping? I said, no, come run my line with me. I couldn't keep them out of them calling the bears. I all told right. you about riding from Athens We're to We're back Howland. that thing in, guys. Good to see you all. Yep. Yeah, okay. Really good. Thank you. 47 auto tracks, one snowstorm from Athens to Howland. Yep. Did I see? How many did I not see? <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you guys do you ever have issues with competition, stealing fur, stealing traps? You don't have as, to me, you don't have as much in the North Main Woods. You can out around farm fields, and it could be two or three different reasons. But a lot of people think they own the territory outside the woods. They've been traveling, they ask the farmer, and then if you come in, the farmer, you've never talked to the farmer, just allow me. So if the farmer don't know that that's how you feel, then he's going to let the next guy come, like Billy or you, and I'm there. So you start wondering. Yeah. When it still could be back to humans that don't want, you there trapping, period. 
or you could be back to a jealous trapper, and you do see that. Not as much in the North Main Woods. Yeah, I had one stolen in Misardis this fall. Yeah. I still haven't figured out who took it. I may never figure, probably never figure. Beaver set? Yeah. Yeah. See, you, if you had been here long enough, you'd probably know who the older beaver trapper is. I've been told who it probably yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but we'll, but. we'll give it a few years. So I'll, figure, <laughs> I'll figure it out. Well, yeah. some of them just don't even trap anymore. I don't yeah. know whether it, it, there's a lot of people that used to trap. Yep. And yeah. don't trap anymore, but they still know where they, to they look. Can't they afford, they look. can't afford to trap a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. Because you start running a pickup around, you're spending twenty five, thirty dollars in gas, and only catching a ten, eleven, twelve dollar beaver. Yeah. Yeah. You know that don't make sense. Yeah. Doesn't. But it's something you've got to want to do and. Yeah, back what, when you get thirty dollars a beaver, you seem to see more people wanting to do it. You tag more fur. I when you're below thirty, dead water you just and fish don't, today don't we're drinking. It. Yeah. And twenty five years ago, I'd have given my right nut to get in there on a snowmobile and trap that dead water. Really? There's so many beaver <laughs> in that dead really? water. Yeah. But you got to walk in and stuff, yeah. and now nobody will do it. Yeah. But oh my god. He's been doing some of it. Yeah, well, <laughs> some of it on snowmobile. You know, yeah, yeah, but you, you get can really do so much by walking or yeah. snowmobiling. Yeah, and I do it right. I got thirty this spring. Yeah, and that's good. That, that's a good catch. But if I was, I could never get two hundred that way unless I quit my job. Not unless you get. Oh, you have a job. Not under the ice and stuff. Now, takes a lot of time, chiseling and lugging. No doubt that the open water will catch. But you get a nice fur. beaver. Oh yeah, it's a, yeah it is. Did you foot trap any or did you corner bear? Oh, snare and corner bear. Snare, see, snare will cause a lot of problems sometimes. Yeah. See, you see a mark. The ones I've snared, it's just like the corner bear. Mm. You see the mark, but it's usually up by yeah. the neck, so it's usually not too bad. Yeah. But you take them old fourteens. You always had a good beaver. Yeah, I'd like. I see. I really haven't. See, you learned never how trapped to, them, have you? I've got a couple of them 14s, but I have Under not. Under the ice with the chair and the bait. Yep, I've said I've said a couple. I've caught a couple beaver on them, but not very. See, many. that's the way I learned was with a 14. When the corner bears first come out, I didn't even know how to set one. Really? And I figured that out, but then my father didn't even know how to take the beaver out of it. <laughs> yeah, he that's why he knew the 14 is his dad. We that's were how they we were 14 guys, and we caught beaver. With the old chair set that, yeah, or oh, right on the bottom. So you just set the trap on the bottom and oh, put yeah. the bait just wherever. A shallow run. Yeah. A bottom trap is twice as good as a chair. Yeah. So you step you, right into it. They front foot, back foot. Front foot. Yeah. I so mean, you that set was the bait pretty common long. way of yep. trap back in the bait 30s which here, the traps here. Fifties. Right. Bait just above the trap. Yep. Yeah. And you let left the pan. There was no adjusting that pan down low. You yeah. left that pan high. Yeah, I notice a lot of guys like the pan right up high. And they hit that pan and float right down. Bang. <laughs> that give them something to see, that yeah. high pan. Yeah. And most of the guys, after they didn't know what was going on, you'd see them adjust that pan way down low. Well, then Bebo, a lot of times, wouldn't even, they'd hit the side of the trap or, yeah. and chew the bait and go. Oh, it's perfect. But they see the pan, they use it. Oh, yeah. They wanted that higher, that pan. They just loved to step on that. It was something they thought would hold them. 
and they go down bang. Tell me about your father. Huh? Tell me about your father. My dad? He was an old timer trapper. Oh yeah. He graduated from high school in nineteen twenty three and in twenty four he was building a camp at Dole Pond and he spent twenty years from twenty four to forty four at Dole Pond, unmarried. And, that, and that's just quite, trapping. That's quite a ways out in the woods, Dole Pond. It, back then it's twenty miles above Pittston Farm. Right on the St. Zachary. Yep. The old road that went through to St. Zachary, now the Golden Road. So he spent 20 years out there. 20 years, and people said to him they couldn't believe a guy his age would want to spend 20 years in North Main Woods. But they didn't realize he, during the Depression, he was making almost $5,000 a winter trapping. Yeah. And he wouldn't tell, <laughs> nobody would tell nobody nothing then. But. <laughs> He made some money during the Depression. And no one knew about it? No. Wow. They couldn't do it. They were tied with family and everything, and they had to feed their family. And they're all So the they farms, worked for a dollar a day yeah. someplace, or cut wood oh. for whatever they got per cord would average a dollar a day. Hmm. Them guys that got out there doing that back in them days, boy. Yeah. Mm. And when he got up there, back then in those days, there were certain trappers all through the North Main Woods here. And they all had their own little area, and they were protective of their area. Yeah, they'd sneak too. And well, this guy by the name of Harry Brown that had the Pittston area, so my father went and talked to him and said, how far do I have to get up here before I don't bother you? And he said, you got to get up closer to Dole Pond, and we'll never meet, he said. So that's why he built the camp there. Yeah, so he built it Dole Pond. Did, now, he, Dole, did Dole he have Pond. to get permission or anything? Or? He got a 99-year lease from the Great Northern for $1 <laughs> to build that camp. And that 99 years would be two years from now, that lease would be up. But the forest wardens burned his camp back in the 60s. Really? And it was um, a nice camp Dole Pond. without even no permission. Dole Pond's the headwaters of the West Branch Penobscot, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was on the North Branch. North Branch, yeah. But yeah, Dole Pond. Penobscot Lake Dole is very far. Runs right down right? into North Branch. And the Penobscot Lake isn't far from Not Dole. bad. He he got down into the Penobscot and Cheney. He had seven line camps he walked to. Yeah, really? So and he was all, all foot. All Oh, yeah. All foot with a dog. He had a dog. A big German Shepherd, Husky mix that he got out of Canada as a puppy, and it couldn't understand the word of English, and that <laughs> became the smartest dog he ever had. And it pulled a sled for him, or yeah, huh? he made a dog sled for him with just a a round collar that the dog could get in and slip his head through. Yeah. That dog, if he told that dog he was going to Big Bog, the dog would go ahead and be waiting for him at Big Bog. Jeez. Yeah. He, when he'd take him in the canoe down the North Branch, the dog knew where he had to get out of the canoe and go down the shoreline. He knew where the old man would pick him up. <laughs> huh. he, he lived with the dog, you know, and the yeah. dog just... And this is in the 20s and 30s and early 40s. And I became director for the state to the Nationals in 89. And in 87, I... I started training with Norman Gray, the old Norm Gray, that's 
got a trust fund for in the nationals, the Norm Gray Trust Fund for college kids to go to. And Norm was big. He was the director for the state, but he was getting ready to give it up because he was getting older. So I had to go two years on my own with Norm and Edith Gray to the national to learn how the program worked, supposedly. <laughs> and we're going down through, I think we were going that year to Ohio or some, something like that. And we're talking trapping. And Norm was a forester back then, a young forester back in the 30s, when your late dad was 30s. Up there. <laughs> and he told me, he says, you know, he said, there was a guy, he said back in the 30s, he says that I watched his dog for him one Christmas. He wanted to go to New Sharon back home to Christmas. <laughs> and he said, I had that dog for two weeks, and that dog wouldn't hardly eat. But he said that was the smartest dog he ever I said, was, was that guy's name Thompson? And he said, yes. I said, that was my father. And he says, really? And I explained to him how dad was like a grandfather to me. Cause yeah. He was in his mid-40s when I was born, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And the only reason he left, he got drafted at 39 years old. Jeez. Oh, 39, and they drafted wow. him. And the war ended while he was in Texas going through training, and they let him out. Huh. And the only reason he left the North Main Woods, he come back, and the guy he'd left in charge of all of his stuff at the camp was an old drunk by the name of Shed Scott. And he sold everything, thinking oh, the old man never be back. You're kidding. Yep, he sold everything to drink. And oh. uh, he said, ah, I didn't think you'd ever be back. So he come back and all stuff's gone. He pissed my father off. Traps and, he, and everything. He, he went and he moved back downstate and started lumbering and stuff. Met my mother and got married. And that's where his <laughs> problem started. Then. He had a good life until then. <laughs> yeah, that, that old, my old man could trap. What, what was he trapping up there mostly? Mostly beaver. Yeah. But he trapped everything. Bobcat for bounty. And you know what they did in the springtime? He and his brother. His brother was two years younger, but he was a good trapper too. They'd go around all that dry kai in the spring and, and shoot with a pistol now. Shoot mink. Those mink would be in around that dry kai. Yeah. And they'd shoot mink with a pistol. <laughs> huh. It was unreal how they could shoot and everything. They were crack shots. They just lived in the woods, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But can you imagine? Mink was $30 back then. And the, some days they'd get two mink, three mink. A month's pay, probably. Yeah. And they'd not tell a soul what they were doing. <laughs> Whether it was legal or not, I don't know. Back then, probably was. There was yeah. probably no yeah, limit, probably, no season. Probably before the laws. On a lot of stuff. Yeah, that was pretty early. But can you imagine having seven different line line camps that no, you walk? No, on foot. On oh. snowshoes, all on snow. He'd wear out two and three pairs of snowshoes a year, hmm. snowshoeing. But you had to go, and then you'd get a big storm or something. You'd lay over for a week, and you had to take care of that fur at each line camp because you couldn't lug it. Yeah. And then the last thing you made your big ground, you started gathering your fur back to your main camp. Yeah. The funny thing is, he he, he nailed beaver that. to the sides of the walls. <laughs> <laughs> he did all that, and he never. You did that nowadays, you'd be a hero. Yeah. He did all that, and never said a word about it. Yeah. 
just loved it. Huh? You had to love it. Huh? And he was up there in Seoul, not a soul around you, except right. sometimes the Canadians would sneak in and steal stuff from you. Really? That was the biggest worry was the Canadians. Because they were poor too Yeah. at that time. And, and in Quebec, there were a lot of villages in Quebec that not far from the border there. But he was on, he was trapping right close to that St. John country and stuff. Yeah. He made it all the way to Baker Lake, lots of winters really? through Double Pond on snowshoe. That's a long way. Up through Norris Brook, Hinkley Hill, up through there and around. And from there, you come down to Amamacottas and back into, like, down on the other side of Green Mountain and back in around Long Pond, back to camp. Huh. He had a big long... Wow. And he, the best he ever did was 80-something beaver in the winter, all by foot. That was a lot of beaver. Foot and a chisel and... Chisel. He had a chisel that he carried on the dog sled and he made a new handle for it every time he cut ice. He'd take a dead spruce, trim it up, drive it down in there, put a nail through it, Go chisel. Work. Huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of stories. He used to, I'd lay awake at night and he'd tell me, before I'd go to bed, he'd always tell me adventures that, that happened. And it was uh, amazed me that Anybody could live that way, even, right. you know. And that's why I always wanted to trap. He always kept me in, interested. My brother could care less about trapping, but I took a liking to it. Huh. And So how did you get, did he teach you to trap? Oh, yeah. Huh. After he would, we were growing up, he couldn't, he went up one time in 57. He and his brother, the price of beaver they heard was going to be high. So they went up to camp. Never scouted a beaver, and they they took two months off work, both of them, and they trapped beaver for two months up there with snowshoes, and my uncle, he would drive his car back and forth to Rockwood so he'd get beer, and my <laughs> old man would be doing the work in the backcountry, <laughs> but they caught 132 beaver really? in two months up there, and they made some money. Really? So the price was high? Yeah, they were almost a dollar an inch back in 57. Yeah. And they made some money. These yeah. guys were the real deals. When right. They were doing the real thing. Yeah. And they were they just phenomenal for what they could do because that was a hard, hard way to Oh, try. yeah. Can you imagine what they'd do today with a pickup and riding around? They wouldn't be doing it. They couldn't get uh, more money what we're getting now, though. Yeah, they, well, that's right. A lot of those guys... They were making the money is why they were there. Exactly. Right. A lot of those guys wouldn't be trapping if they weren't for the money. Yeah, but that must have been some life. <laughs> wonder what the population of beaver was when it, the price was that high. Though. Must have been down. No. Well, there wasn't the beaver around back then that there is now. Yeah. Nowhere. It was all closed down. It was closed for a long southern time. Southern Maine yeah. until the into the fifties they started open and guys open down one there. One township at a time. One bog in a township might yeah. be open, and guys would be there at midnight waiting for a warden would blow the whistle when midnight, <laughs> and there'd be seven or eight, ten guys, really? and they'd ring a beaver house with trout. Oh. And everybody had their own idea how you had to catch a beaver, and they'd fight and everything else, yeah. and they'd spring each other's traps when they nobody else was there. Oh, it was a mess, they said. 
Well, then back when you get into the 50s, 40s, and 50s, I've heard stories of guys, they just go into a, a lodge and put a, put a few sticks in the ice because the guys on airplanes are coming over. And and if they saw that no one was trapping there, they'd land mm. and, and trap beavers. So the guys would, wouldn't even trap a lodge. They'd just go in and put a put, few sticks put there. Sticks in, yeah. make I did that a lot when I was first down home. There was 13 trappers in in Athens, licensed trappers in the 70s. 13 different guys trapped. So I'd run around at midnight and I'd put fake traps in everywhere <laughs> and, and cover it up with snow, put my name on it, and yeah. I'd get the good runs. Then I'd go back and start filling them then in. you set them. <laughs> and it worked. It worked. Before they caught on what I was doing. <laughs> Jesus, I had a good time. I'd test them guys. And I was just a kid, you know, learning... Not really learning because I'd already been with my father, because he trapped some. Even we had a another old dog that he hooked up his his old sled to, and she'd pull that sled with me on it to the beaver bogs, and he'd trap oh ten or fifteen beaver every winter just yeah, to do just, it. Just just had in his blood. Yeah, stay in shape, he said. <laughs> but he always smoked camel cigarettes right down to nothing. Really. And he died with emphysema at 72. Yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Billy and Charlie. We got a little bit more to come from those guys. Had a lot of fun uh, talking trapping and talking history and everything else. Uh, now it's time for the Cots Brothers Deal of the Week. And this week is a special flash sale on Bridger Number 2 Offset Traps. $111 a dozen. This is limited to the quantity that's on hand, and when they're sold, the sale ends. Don't wait, or you will miss out on this great deal. $111 a dozen for Bridger number 2 offsets. Check that out at kotzbros.com, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. No need for a promo code or anything. Just get on there, and if you're looking for some coyote traps, um, time to uh, to get after it. Uh, get those traps while you can. Save a few bucks. And uh, thanks, guys, for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next episode. Till next time, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping, get ready for trapping season. It'll be here before you know it.